You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome to everybody episode 503 of the podcast in Super America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. What is it? March 7th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded air tour sports podcast. And I do want to start by saying this. I apologize that we had no Friday show. To be blunt, uh, your boy was not doing very well, okay? Uh, went to the USC game against Arizona on Tuesday night. Woke up not feeling great on Wednesday. Finished up Wednesday's episode of the pod. Almost didn't make it through that. And then uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday basically in bed with the death flu for anyone worried no I tested negative for COVID twice but uh one I had some crazy variation of the flu uh if it wasn't the flu I'll say this there, there may be a new Torres variant coming out so be careful for that but I just bring it up I'm not looking for sympathy anything like that but I do apologize that there was no Friday episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast a lot of you ask me privately DM me hey what's going on are we getting a new episode today why aren't we getting a new episode because oh by the way we had the single biggest story maybe for college basketball of the next 10 years with Coach K's final home game at Cameron. So I just want to open the show by apologizing. I love doing this show. Uh, it is, it's everything to me. And so not being able to do it on Friday, I felt terrible. Uh, but I'm back. I'm feeling good now. Uh, like Coach K, I was down there for a minute. But it's okay. I'm back, baby. I'm back. So here's what we're going to do on today's show. Obviously, we will open with the Duke-Carolina game. I actually want to start by talking about the game itself. I know the fun part is the crying fans and the, the, the tears and Ken Jong. What's wrong with poor Ken Jong? But I do think we probably should start with the game because I think it's officially time. Like, Duke, there, there's something just not right there, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll give a little bit of credit to my boy Hubert Davis, who I have crushed, 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 crushed. Obviously, the single biggest win of his career. We'll talk a little about those crying Duke fans, poor Duke fans. Uh, and then from there, we'll get to the rest of the weekend in college basketball. Memphis picking up a big win. Listen, I've crushed Penny Hardaway. I got to give him credit where it's due. They're playing amazing basketball right now as they all but clinch an NCAA tournament bid with a second win over Houston. There are some other results that, that, that 
had some relevance on Saturday. Uh, you know, listen, Arkansas losing to Tennessee. What does it mean? I don't think it's that much. Tennessee's awesome. We'll talk about that one. Uh, Kentucky taking care of business against Florida on the road. I actually have some thoughts on that. And we'll maybe talk a little bit of, of, of recruiting stuff as Kentucky actually lost a five-star recruit on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. I don't think it's that big of a deal. We'll discuss it. Uh, and I would just say in terms of this week, probably do Monday, Tuesday, Friday episodes this week. I think Tuesday I'll do the full conference preview episode. And then Friday, kind of the middle of the week, we'll just wrap, go into the weekend, kind of talk about the bubble picture, where things stand, number one seeds. Uh, because once the once the conference tournament starts, it's tough to kind of do reactionary stuff because things happen so fast. But I think it's going to be a really fun week. Next week's the NCAA tournament. We're going to have a ton of stuff for you. Uh, great giveaway as part of our Aaron Torres Bracket Challenge. Really fun stuff coming up. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day. Don't know if you heard. It was, apparently, I, I mean, I, I hadn't really heard much about this, but apparently it was Coach K's final game as head coach at Cameron Indoor Arena. Uh, the fans, some of them had been camping out since January. Those poor students camping out since January. Fans paying upwards of $10,000, $20,000, $50,000, dollars for tickets. You had all the dignitaries in the building. You had Kyler Murray. You had Adam Silver. You had Jerry Seinfeld. You had Ken Jong. The camera spent more time on Ken Jong than they did on Coach K. And then the game started, and then the game went essentially the way that none of us expected. If I had done a Friday episode, I would have absolutely picked Duke. I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say I saw this coming because I did not at all. As Carolina goes into Durham, Coach K Court, Cameron Indoor Arena, final score, 94-81, 55 points in the second half, run Duke out of their building their own building on Coach K's final day. What can you say? And like I said a minute ago, listen, we'll have some fun with the Duke fans. They were a little emotional, a little upset. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I do want to start with Duke itself because when I look at Duke and when I look at this team and this moment and this game as it pertains to Duke's entire season, I do wonder, like, is it time to officially start worrying about Duke? Like, we always kind of figured, like, oh, it's Coach K's last ride. They have arguably the most talented roster in college. But, though, once March comes, oh, boy, watch out. Well, March is here, and they just got crushed on their home court. And it's crazy because, listen, I, I, again, what I said a minute ago, I can't pretend as though, oh, I saw this coming, and, and you could see it coming a mile away. No, I couldn't. Listen, I was the guy as of, what, about three weeks ago? I said that I believe that there was only five teams that could win the national championship uh, in college basketball this season, and they were Arizona, Auburn, Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Duke. And if you remember, at that time, like, I don't even think that was one a controversial take. I mean, there was a couple teams that I left out that people got mad about, Purdue and Baylor, but essentially what I did was it was the four number one seeds in Joe Lenardi's bracket at the time, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, and Auburn, those were the four. And then Duke, which was... I think indisputably probably the most talented starting five in basketball. And so when I put Duke in, I said, look, they have so much freaking talent that like at some point, like they can just overwhelm people with that talent. And many of you saw Duke in person at the Champions Classic. I know we have a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show. That talent just overwhelmed what is one of the best teams in, in the country in Kentucky. Um, I was at the Duke-Gonzaga game where I think that was maybe the best example yet 
of what Duke is capable of when they're operating at their full potential. That game, Paulo Banquero starts out, you know, at the time we're talking about him as maybe the possible number one pick in the draft. I mean, he still could be, but he has 20 points in the first half. I'm sitting there, you know, I covered the game, but my uncle, who's a Duke Law alum, was at the game, and he doesn't follow the team day to day. He goes, who is that? That guy belongs in the NBA right now. Like, that was how good Paulo was that night. Uh, Mark Williams was flying all over the court. Oh, by the way, Paulo goes out with cramps. Wendell Moore takes over the game late. And so in that game, that might have been a metaphor for how good Duke can be. They have five guys on this roster that could potentially be number one pick, number first-round picks. The the guy, the three guys I named, Paulo Bancaro, um, Wendell Moore, and Mark Williams, on top of their point guard, Trevor Keels, on top of their shooting guard, A.J. Griffin. So when I say, like, I, 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 like I still think Duke can win the national title, like I, I still truly believe that. They're the most talented starting five in college basketball. But what I do also think is that at some point, we have to stop projecting how good a team can be, and we have to start to accept, like, who they are right now, right? Like, I'll give you an example outside of college basketball. Remember all season long when the Kansas City Chiefs in football in the NFL were either losing games early or they were winning, like, these really ugly, weird games where, like, Mahomes would throw, like, three picks, but they'd win, like, 17-13 or whatever. Like, there was just, all, there was just like, this two-month stretch where you're very, it's very clear you're, like – this is not the Kansas City Chiefs I remember from two years ago when Patrick Mahomes was throwing six touchdowns a game. This is not that. And you just kept hearing all these analysts, oh, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. And, like, I guess to a degree they did. They made the AFC Championship game. But then we watched the AFC Championship game, and it's like, whoa, wait a second now. They couldn't do anything in the second half. They were flawed all year, and they got exposed in the biggest game of the season against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, they were great the week before against the Buffalo Bills, but it's kind of like Duke. Duke has those moments where they beat Gonzaga. You're like, oh, my God, they're incredible. But let's be realistic, and let's look at what, I've, what they've done since. Because if you look at the ACC this year, by the way, Duke has clinched the ACC regular season title. No disrespect to them. But at the same time, let's kind of peel back some of those losses. Yes, yeah, since the Gonzaga game and since ACC play started, they have had those moments where you're like, oh, my God, they're unbelievable, which is why up until a few weeks ago, I didn't want to take them off that list of national championship contenders. They went to Syracuse last weekend and destroyed Syracuse. It was never competitive. First North Carolina game destroyed them. It was never competitive. They played Wake Forest early in the year when Wake Forest was playing its best basketball. Fringe top 25 team destroyed Wake Forest at home. Never competitive. So I don't want to completely discredit what they've accomplished. This isn't some big anti-Duke rant or anything. But at the same time, like, like we can also talk about some of these losses now, right? I mean, think about their four losses in ACC play. Miami at home. Miami is just now getting on the right side of the bubble, probably have played themselves into the NCAA tournament, but that was at home. Lose to Florida State on the road. Florida State is not making the NCAA tournament this year, so they lost on the road to a team that isn't making the NCAA tournament. Virginia, they lose at home to Virginia, who is on the wrong side of the bubble right now, probably not going to get into the field of 68 in the NCAA tournament. They lose to North Carolina on Saturday at home in a game where they were obviously favored by a significant margin. And so let's just talk about that resume right there, right? And I know the ACC is a little bit down this year and all that stuff. Four ACC losses, nothing to be like ashamed about. We're talking about a Duke team that that has the talent to win a national championship though. Two of those losses to teams that probably aren't going to make the tournament. Um, The two that are going to make the tournament, one of them, North Carolina, didn't really clinch that tournament bid until they beat Duke on Saturday. 
and three of them are at home. Three home losses, two losses in conference play to teams that aren't going to make the NCAA tournament. Does that sound like a team to you that's magically going to flip a switch and beat uh, you know, Arizona in an Elite Eight and Kentucky in a Final Four and Gonzaga in a title game? Or Gonzaga in an elite, like, like fill, you know, fill in the blanks, whatever. Beat Villanova in a Sweet 16 and then Gonzaga in an elite. Like, that, that doesn't sound to me like a team that's going to win three, four, five games in a row against really good competition. And by the way, once you get to the second round, I mean, there's going to be some good teams. Duke's probably going to be a, a two seed, maybe a three. They're going to have to face real teams in the second round let alone the Sweet 16, let alone the Elite Eight, let alone the Final Four, let alone a national championship. And I think we all agree that this team is good enough to win the national championship, so it speaks to a little bit how disappointing the season is, right? Like, you can even go to other teams, right? Like, Kentucky. Calipari gets criticized for everything. You can like him, you can hate him, and if you're not a Kentucky fan, most people don't like him. But think about Kentucky this year, and I tweeted about it, and I'll talk about it a little bit later in the show. But Calipari, just think about it. Calipari... They have six losses this year, just like Duke. Remember, I said Duke has lost three at home, two to teams that aren't going to be in the NCAA tournament, two to basically bubble teams. Well, Kentucky has six losses as well. All six are either on the road or neutral court, which means they won every game at home. Doesn't matter who the opponent is, who's injured, who's banged up, who's this, who's that, Kentucky won them all. On top of that, on the road, you know, they, they face like all these teams that are, every team that they lost to, is going to be an NCAA tournament team. Lost to Duke on a neutral. Lost to Notre, at Notre Dame, which Notre Dame is going to be an NCAA tournament team. Lost at Auburn. Lost at LSU. Lost at Tennessee. Lost at Arkansas. Those are all great teams. I mean, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas, Duke. I mean, you start talking about of the six losses that they have, four of those teams could be second weekend teams. They could be final four teams for that matter. And so you just start comparing resumes. You can criticize Kentucky for whatever you want, they basically won every single game on their schedule that they were supposed to. Now, Duke, on the other hand, Duke went, again, I can't keep reiterating it, but they lost now to two teams that are definitely probably not going to make the NCAA tournament and three times at home. I think about another team like Arkansas. Arkansas, every time their fans want to celebrate, people criticize them. Well, I mean, come on now. I mean, all your big home games, all your big games were at home, and you beat Auburn and Kentucky and Tennessee at home, and then you lost to Tennessee on the final game of the season on the road. It's like, yeah, but they still beat some really good teams at home. They're, they're clearly playing their best basketball right now. You go on and on down the list. There's a lot of teams that are playing their best basketball right now. So I don't want to belabor the point. But the point that I am trying to get to, we'll wrap, we'll talk a little North Carolina, and then we'll talk about those crying fans, is the idea that, like, th- this notion that, um, like, I think it's time to officially worry about Duke. And maybe, I, maybe I'm just lost in the college football college basketball ethos echo echo chamber right now and maybe other people are talking about this but I do think there's this notion that oh you know once the tournament starts you know Duke they'll be fine blah 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 this and that like I I don't know that I feel that way I've been watching sports long enough to know that when a team is inherently flawed or I don't even know if inherently flawed is the right word if a team traditionally plays down to its competition over and over and over again over the course of the season at some point, they're going to play down to somebody in the tournament, and they're going to lose. I'm telling you right now, I look at some of these teams they could face in the second round. Memphis, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Memphis can beat, can beat Duke. I'm just telling you they can. Some of these schools that you probably haven't watched much of, I've been watching them. Boise could beat Duke if Duke plays down to its level of competition. Um, you know, Colorado State in the Mountain West, Wyoming in the Mountain West. I'm just bringing them up as examples to say, you say, oh, there's no way that Duke would lose to that team in their bracket. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they lost to Virginia at home. They're not going to be a tournament team. They lost at Florida State. Florida State's not a tournament team. So I don't want to belabor the point. I want to move on to Carolina. And, of course, on top of that, um, you know, the, the crying fans and all that stuff. I do want to talk a little bit about Coach K's legacy as well. But I just bring it up to very simply say, um, you know, at a certain point, we have to stop pretending like this is a, a team that is just going to magically flip a switch. And we got to start accepting that they are what their record says they are and that they take really bad losses, and that would be a concern of mine going into March. That said, though, let's get to the other side of this game, and that's, of course, the North Carolina side. I say often the more interesting story is in the losing locker room. That was certainly the case at Cameron Indoor. We just spent 15 minutes talking about the Duke side of things. Now let's switch to Carolina, and how about my boy Hubert Davis? Nobody loves Hubert Davis more than your boy Tor. I never said a single bad... Okay. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. Yes, I've been very critical of Hubert Davis, although in my defense, I would also say this. Um, I haven't really been critical. I just thought that the second or third best job in America, North Carolina, they should do a real coaching search when their coaching job opened up. That, that, that was my entire criticism of Hubert Davis so far. Um, so I have to give him credit now. But at the same time, what I would also say, first of all, don't mind giving him credit. I'm going to give a ton of credit to Penny Hardaway in about 10 minutes. But at the same time, what I would also say about Hubert Davis is, I think Saturday kind of proved my whole point on Hebert Davis all along is that he had a really good team capable of beating just about anybody. This was a team, listen, let's talk about North Carolina for a second because I had them in the top 15 in the country coming into this year because I believed in the roster that Hubert Davis inherited and assembled after Roy Williams retired. First of all, you can, it's easy to forget North Carolina was good but not great last year. I think they were an 8 or a 9 seed. I know they lost to Wisconsin in the first round. Wisconsin then lost to Baylor, the eventual national champions, in the second round. So they had an 8 seed. They returned five of their top seven scores, including their starting point guard, including their leading scorer and rebounder, Armando Baycott. And then to Hubert Davis's credit, they went out and signed three marquee transfers. Brady Manick, who was awesome on Saturday against Duke. Dawson Garcia, former McDonald's All-American, who was hurt. Justin McCoy, who's played pretty well in spots. And so, like, Saturday kind of proved my point, is that that team is really talented, and that team had completely underperformed until about two, two and a half, three weeks ago. I went through it a few weeks ago. I don't need to spend too much time on it, but let's look at some of these losses for Carolina. Nine-point loss to Purdue. Okay, not great, not terrible. 17-point loss to Tennessee. Okay, not great. 29-point loss to Kentucky, not ideal, although who knows, maybe Kentucky's, no, he still lost by 29 to Kentucky, then a 28-point loss to Miami, then a 22-point loss to Wake, and that was when I was officially like, okay, it is time to have a real conversation about Hubert Davis. So Hubert Davis, at one point, they were 12-6 and six this season. Never forget, like, like for people were like, oh, you, all you do is criticize Hubert Davis. They were 12-6 and six with four losses by 15-plus points, three losses by 20-plus points. When in your entire life has North Carolina ever lost a game by 20 points, period, let alone three in like a six-week period? So I was critical of Hubert Davis, but what I also have to now do is step back, reevaluate, use new information, and say, he's been pretty good the last three or four weeks. I'll give him credit, right? Since they dropped to 12-6 and six after that loss to Wake, they, are, they have since gone 11-2, and two, with that big win against Duke. And then on top of that, what I would also say is they've basically taken care of everybody that they're supposed to, right? So like Duke, they have the exact opposite. Duke is like awesome. Like, like they got the greatest great wins ever. Gonzaga and Kentucky on neutral courts, you could argue those are the two best wins anybody has in college basketball. Now an Alabama fan with Gonzaga and Baylor, there's, there's, there's programs that can argue it. 
but it doesn't get much better than Kentucky and Gonzaga on neutral courts, which are Duke's two best wins. The problem is Duke loses to weird bad teams. To North Carolina's credit, they've beaten all the bad teams uh, over the last about three, three and a half weeks, going 11-2 and two over that stretch. The only losses were the first loss to Duke and a weird one to Pitt at home. They've beaten the Virginia Techs. They've beaten the uh, NC States. They've beaten the, the Pitt, uh, Pitt, I think, they beat once during that stretch. They've beaten the Louisville's. Like, they've beaten the teams that they're supposed to. So I don't want to belabor the point, but what I would say is I have to take a moment here and talk a little bit about Hubert Davis, give him a little bit of credit, because I do think, look, the year right now, the year has been, I, I don't know what you would call it. I would say it's still been a little bit of a disappointment up until this stretch. I mean, North Carolina is never supposed to be kind of on the bubble going into the final week of the season, let alone in a season where they return five of their top seven scores. Now, I understand new head coach, but he was within the program. This is the guy you wanted. So congratulations, Hubert Davis. I can't discredit him. Biggest win of his career. He will forever say what you want. We, we might argue Coach K is the greatest coach, second greatest coach of all time. Hubert Davis in Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor knocks him off. So credit to Hubert Davis no matter what he does. If he goes on to win 10 national championships, if he goes on to coach two more years and, and whatever, he will always have that on his resume. And congrats to Carolina fans, man. I mean, uh, you know, my buddy Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, I saw him tweet this out. But, you know, really outside of winning a national championship, it is hard to think of probably a better, more satisfying win uh, for North Carolina. And you know why it was so satisfying? Not just because Coach K lost, but let's get to the stuff that I know you want to talk about, which is those bawling, crying, sad Duke fans. And it's so crazy, right? Because I'm watching the game like everybody else. And it gets to about, I don't know, 45 seconds, a minute left. And you start to realize, oh, North Carolina is going to win this game. And I kind of thought it was going to be like any other game. I think you just, you know, you turn it off and you move on to the next one. So I started kind of scrolling around the TV, you know, what else is on, who's playing, what should I be keeping an eye out for? And then all of a sudden I turn back and it's like the it's like a funeral in there. It's like waterworks. Everybody's crying. You got this girl over here, you got this couple over here hugging. You got this uh co-ed undergrad guy, dude, family member, what like everybody's just crying. And on the one hand, a couple things, let's be honest here. Uh, you know, first I was like, one, this is very weird. I would say on top of that, the post-game speech with, with Coach K, uh, where he basically told the fans to shut up, uh, that was pretty incredible audio, too. I couldn't find good enough quality, otherwise I would drop it in. If you missed it, it's on the Aaron Torres pod page. But I bring it up because, you know, listen, on the one hand, I will say this. Duke fan tears just hit a little bit different, don't they? Duke fan tears, it's just, it's just kind of a little bit entertaining it's funny like right like it's it's kind of like when texas football loses a big game like america rallies to just laugh at texas and poke at texas and be like oh my god look at you texas you thought you were back you ain't back baby you ain't back and it was kind of the same with duke duke's obviously been much more successful in basketball but it's like man when they lose everybody appreciates it but what i would also say is well listen if you had fun watching those duke fans cry i can't blame you I'd kind of wrap this segment and wrap kind of talking Duke Carolina by saying, like, I hate to say it, but isn't that kind of a testament to Coach K? There's an old saying, you don't boo nobodies. Well, you don't have fans crying in the stands, and you don't have other fan bases celebrating those fans crying in the stands if you're a nobody, if you don't matter. Nobody cares if Iowa State fans are crying. 
Uh, Wake Forest fans don't lose, uh, don't cry after a bad loss to their rivals. And to me, it kind of speaks to Coach K. And I'll wrap by saying something that I would have talked about on Friday had there been a show on Friday. And that's that, I'll be honest, like Saturday actually to me kind of proved, well, I'm going to be kind of sad when Coach K leaves. Like, listen, I understand that nothing lasts forever. I get it. I understand that nothing lasts forever. But the fact that so many people were crying in the arena and the fact that so many fan bases were thrilled to see Duke fans crying in the arena, it proves that Duke matters. And you only matter by having a career like the one that Coach K had. 43-plus years at Duke. 43, this is his 43rd year at Duke. So just think about it at the most basic level. There is no one really probably listening to this podcast, and and hate to brag, but we do some pretty good numbers sometimes. There is no one probably listening to this podcast that remembers college basketball before Duke. Coach K got hired in 1980, okay? Coach K got hired in 1980, which means that to probably remember college basketball before Coach K was at Duke, he'd probably be, what, seven years old, eight years old, something like that. He had to probably be born, what, I don't know, 1972, 1973, which means that you're like 50 years old at this point. So think about that. If you're under the age of 50 years old, which is not young, it's not, for those of you that are over 50 years old, you're not old either. But 50 years old is like, it's not a young thing. But you have to be that old to remember college basketball before Coach K. And so think about all the fan bases that had so much joy in what happened on Saturday. We know North Carolina fans did. We just talked about them. Biggest rivalry uh, in college basketball right alongside Kentucky and Louisville. We know Kentucky fans did uh, because, you know, they have a rivalry dating back 30 years, Christian Leitner, all that good stuff. We, of course, know that on top of that, maybe we don't know. I don't think there's a lot of people that know. UConn fans, I'm an alum, hate Duke. You know why? Because in 1990, UConn's first great season under Jim Calhoun where they were truly a national presence Christian Leitner hit a buzzer beater in 1990 to knock UConn out of the tournament in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. Took Jim Calhoun nine more years to get to his first Final Four. So you're talking about 30-plus years that UConn fans have hated Duke. I think I've told this story before, but back when I lived in Connecticut, I remember driving around in Connecticut, and the 1990 team was a little bit before my age range where I really remember that game. But there was a poll on Connecticut Sports Talk Radio, which I'm sure is listened to by millions, But there was a poll on Connecticut Sports Talk Radio. Who is the most hated athlete to Connecticut sports fans? And the number one response was Christian Leitner. UConn fans hate Duke. Arizona fans. uh, Friday afternoon when I was sick in bed, I was watching the 2001 title game. 21 years ago, Arizona Duke. Mike Dunleavy's playing. Jay Williams is playing. Carlos Boozer's playing. Richard Jefferson for Arizona. Luke Walton for Arizona. On and on and on and on and on. Oh, when I tweeted about that game, you should have seen the response from Arizona fans, and it's justified. I'm not criticizing you, Arizona fans. You have every right to be mad. There were some bad calls down the stretch. Arizona fans have hated Duke for 20 years. Kentucky fans have hated him for 30 years. Arkansas fans hate him because of some of the lead-up to the 1994 title game where, where Arkansas actually beat Duke to end Grant Hill's career. And so I bring it up because just think about how, how long Coach K has been around. I mean, this is a guy like some of the great college basketball coaches that you hear about and you read about. Um, You know, he was he wasn't necessarily old enough to coach against John Wooden, but basically everybody coached John post John Wooden. 
Dean Smith, who's no longer with us. Coach Gabe went, went at him for years. Jerry Tarkanian, icon, national title game, 1990. John Thompson, NCAA tournaments recently passed away. Lute Olson, I just mentioned, 2001 Final Four, just passed away. Um, you know, you go down the list of players that he's coached against. And I did this. I, I know I did it when he announced his retirement in June. But I'm reading the book by Ian O'Connor right now. You know who his first big miss in recruiting was, Coach K? It was Chris freaking Mullen who went to St. John's instead. Chris Mullen's 58 years old. He's been retired from the NBA for 22 years. That shows you how long Coach K has been, been around. And so I don't want to belabor the point, and I don't want to say that I wasn't laughing at the, the Duke fans that were crying, but it just kind of shows you, again, nobody boos nobodies. People don't boo nobodies. And it's the same with Coach K. Like, we can laugh at the Duke fans for crying, and we can laugh at ourselves for enjoying it like, uh, like, all, like all you know what. But at the same time, what that says to me, this guy's been around a long time. He has made an impact. He has made you care about Duke basketball. As a matter of fact, I'll say one last thing before we take a break. We'll talk a little Memphis. I was texting my buddy Zach Kroll. Zach Kroll writes for Aaron Torres Online. He does a great job covering college hoops. And as I was watching that game, as I was watching the, the lineup and the lead up and, and you know, uh, fans camping out and the, the, the Cameron crazies and all that stuff, you know what my biggest takeaway was from Saturday? Man, I hope John Shire is good as a head coach. Because I do think college basketball, they kind of need Duke to be Duke, right? And it's not to say there's not other great stories, Villanova and Arkansas and Providence is great this year, and, and there's not there's great programs. Arizona's peaking again under Tommy Lloyd. Kentucky's awesome under John Calipari. But Duke is like the national. Everybody hates him. They, they create passion from everybody. And if John Shire's just okay, if John Shire's just okay, we're in trouble. If John Shire's, uh, you know, losing a wake on the road and, and Virginia Tech at home, like that's a bad sign for college basketball. Now he's recruiting at such a high level. He's got like three of the top five kids committed next year that I, I don't think he's, there's going to be an immediate fall off. But the best thing for college basketball realistically is that he's a young Coach K and that he's going to be there for 30 years and keep them awesome and keep us all hating them. So Duke, Coach K, a lot of tears from Duke fans. Uh, but those are obviously all my thoughts from Saturday's game in Cameron Indoor. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk about another whipping boy. I just talked about my whipping boy, Hubert Davis. I guess Coach K at times has been a whipping boy of mine as well. But I also want to talk about my buddy Penny Hardaway. Oh, I've been critical of Penny Hardaway. Oh, I've talked a lot of crap about Penny Hardaway. And boy, oh boy, he's, play he's got his Memphis Tigers playing really well right now. And if I saw them in my bracket, I'd officially be concerned because I think they clinched an NCAA tournament bid on Sunday. I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears. And I do want to talk about another team that I've been a little bit critical of and another head coach that I've been a little critical of, right? So a minute ago, I had to take a moment, basically get on my hands and knees and beg for forgiveness from Hubert Davis. UNC, biggest win in his program, obviously, since he's taken over. But I'd still even say with Hubert Davis, like I said it a minute ago, like I don't know that they're this suddenly resurgent program as much as they've beaten a lot of bad teams up until that game Saturday at Duke, but it's an incredible win, and he deserves some praise for it. Well, what I will say is there is another coach that I have been equally, if not more so, critical of who I know for a fact 
his program has turned around in the middle of the season. I know for a fact is playing its best basketball since he took over as a head coach, and I know for a fact they are freaking scary if you see them between now and their final game of the season. That's my old buddy Penny Hardaway. For years, listen, I'll be blunt. I've been critical. I've been critical of some of his comments. I've been critical of all the smoke. I've been critical of guaranteeing a national championship, and I've been very critical of them this season. Some really bad losses early, some clear chemistry issues, and like I do on this show, I have not let Penny Hardaway off the hook. But what I will also say is that on Sunday, as we look at the rest of the games from the weekend, on Sunday, Memphis hosted the Houston Cougars. Best team in the AAC, coming off a Final Four run last year. Yeah, they've had some injuries, but Houston is a really good team, coached by a great head coach in Kelvin Sampson. Well, Houston came into the FedEx Forum on Sunday, and they got themselves a tail-whipping courtesy of the Memphis Tigers. Final score, 75-61. to And let me just say this. One, I absolutely owe an apology to Penny Hardaway because he has absolutely flipped this program as this is now their 10th win in 11 games. I believe they are clearly the best team in the AAC going into the AAC tournament next week. And I'll also say this. I believe on, on Sunday that they clinched themselves an NCAA tournament bid, that that Houston bid puts them in the big dance, and I think they're in no matter what. I'd probably win a game in the AAC tournament if I was them, but I believe they're in. And not only are they in, let me finally say this. I believe this Memphis team is a team to be feared, a team that you do not want to see in your bracket, and a team that is, I don't want to say they're capable of beating anybody, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, are they darn close. So let's get into it, let's talk about it, and let me just say this. It's kind of like what I said said about Hubert Davis a minute ago. I don't think that my criticism of Penny Hardaway was unjustified through the years, right? I I attack equally. I crushed John Calipari last year when he was terrible. I crushed Coach K when he was bad last year. Um, And with Penny Hardaway, you know, let's even put aside, as I said, all the stuff that he said in the past and, you know, did he underachieve with Precious Achua and last year they made the NIT. Let's put all that aside and just focus on this year. Because I do think, like, for the most part, They really were like a pretty underachieving team for a good chunk of this year. You go back to to November, some of those losses were like indescribably bad. At Georgia is terrible. Tom Crean is about to get fired in the next week. I I think short of winning the SEC tournament, Tom Crean's not coming back next year. Ole Miss, bottom of the SEC standings. Memphis lost to them earlier in the season. Kermit Davis, I think Kermit Davis is the right guy for Ole Miss. He might not be surviving this week, depending on how things go, depending on the rumors, if you believe them or not. There were losses early in AAC play to East Carolina. Not going to lie, don't have a lot of great East Carolina basketball memories rolling out off the top of my head, off the tip of my tongue. Same with Tulane. A lot of bad losses early. Losses that I talked about at the time. I said, look, you guys can say like, like, I'm not criticizing him because I don't like him, but these are the losses that are going to hold you back all year, and they really did. And, of course, the big one that I haven't yet mentioned was, of course, the SMU game where he went off on everybody. He was asked if he was the right head coach. He yelled. He screamed. He swore. He he didn't like the question. He said everybody's against him. He said we have injuries, blah, 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 blah. And I think most of the criticism at the time was fair. But what I would also say is that speech rallied somebody because since that SMU loss, where Memphis, uh, you know, where, where Penny Hardaway went off, Memphis is a different basketball team. 
10 and 1 overall. The first game after, I actually remember watching it was during one of these NFL Sundays, and it was the only non football thing on. And I love NFL football, but I flipped that game on. They were down 15 points to Tulsa, rallied to win. From there, pick up a couple nice wins, and then they really started rolling. About three weeks ago, they won at Houston. You start to say, wait a second now. That's not like beating East Carolina. That's not like beating Tulsa. That's not like beating uh, Temple. Houston's a real basketball team, and you just won in Houston. And they've continued to roll, continued to roll, continued to roll. And as I said, 10-1 and overall in their last 11 games. And for by the way, for those of you who are going to say, oh, they haven't beaten anybody, all I'll say is this. I know Houston's banged up, but at the end of the day, beating Houston twice, that's more impressive than anything Duke has done in the ACC over the last two months. It's more impressive than anything Gonzaga's done in the, the WCC, and I'm a Gonzaga defender, but I'm just saying, don't tell me they haven't beaten anybody when they beat one of the toughest, most physical, most well-coached programs in college basketball, Houston, and they did it twice in the last couple weeks. And so to me, this team is flying. They are blossoming. They are awesome. And a lot of you are probably wondering, well, well like, what happened? Like, how did this happen overnight? Well, first of all, I'll give Penny Hardaway credit. He said, dude, we need to get healthy. Let us get healthy before you judge us. And he was kind of right. In that game that they lost to SMU, that forced all that that big speech where he yelled and screamed and cursed and all that stuff. And who cares? I don't really care that he cursed. But um, in that game, here's who was missing from the lineup: DeAndre Williams, who's currently their second leading scorer, and basically he's their do-it-all guy. He was ineligible early last season after he transferred. He gets eligible when everybody gets eligible. The team takes off last year, gets injured early, comes back, and the team hasn't looked back since. Landers Nolly, by the way who was last year's leading scorer, um, who was a guy that this year is scoring a little bit less, but, you know, he's, he's having, having a good season, 10.5 points per game. He, too, was injured for that game. So you basically have your probably two of your three most important players outside of Jalen Duran out for that game. Jalen Duran was recovering from injury but did play at that time. So that was one. Like, like how did Memphis figure this all out? Well, one, Jalen Duran got healthy, or the, the whole team got healthy. Two, the next two really are, are things that I was very critical of. And so I'll give him credit because I don't know if Penny Hardaway listens to this show. I don't want to say that I solved all of Memphis's problems here on the podcast. But two of the other things that I was very critical of of Penny Hardaway are the biggest reasons why he's having success. One, he finally settled on a rotation. If you listen to this podcast at any point where I talked about Penny Hardaway, you could go back and listen. Please re-download. It's good for my numbers. But you go back and listen. I said, look, he plays too many guys. He's got 10, 11 guys that he's trying to figure, like, like, you can't just play 11 guys in college basketball. That doesn't work. By the way, I've been critical of other coaches with that. I was critical with Rick Barnes about that. Now Rick Barnes has his six or seven, seven or eight, and they're rolling. And it's the same with Memphis. Memphis, I looked at the box score on Saturday and Sunday. It's a little bit skewed because of the fact that they played a bunch of walk-ons at the end. But they basically played eight guys. Look at college basketball. Look at all the great programs. Gonzaga basically plays seven guys. They got their starters until the final minute of the game. Villanova basically plays seven guys. It's been a criticism of Jay Wright. It's like, you got to get your younger guys experience. You're not going to keep them in the program. Calipari, Kentucky only plays seven guys. Eric Musselman really only plays seven, eight guys at Arkansas. And so that's what you have to do in college basketball. Penny Hardaway's trying to play 11 or 12 guys. You can't do that. You don't need 13 scholarship players every year. And I think he's finally realized that. I just I can't keep everybody happy. I got to play the guys that are going to help me win. I got to make an NCAA tournament this year. And then finally, the third reason, and I hate to say it because I, I feel bad saying it, but it's the truth, is like it's pretty clear at this point that Amani Bates, like the team plays better without him. 
And it's funny because this is another one. Go back to when Memphis beat Alabama in early December. I talked about it on the show then. Memphis went on their run when Imani Bates came out. Not that he's a bad kid, not that he's a terrible human being, not that he's selfish. I don't believe that at all. I believe he's a byproduct of how he was raised. Maybe his dad shielded him too much. He didn't put him in enough competition, whatever. That's another conversation for another day. A conversation that we may ultimately have to have because I don't think Imani Bates is going to be back in Memphis next year. But it's very clear that they're a better team without him. In this 10 of 11 streak, he's only played in two games. He played in that Tulsa game. And again, I watched that Tulsa game and they pulled him out basically in the entire second half. And that's when Memphis went on their run. Played in the East Carolina game and hasn't been back since. There's talk of a back injury. I guess he left the program. I don't guess. I know. He left the program with a back injury. He hasn't played since because of the back injury. I don't know what his future holds. It feels, I'm not speculating. It feels as though they're probably holding him out to protect him because it's very clear that he's not ready for college basketball at this level. I don't know that. I will say it has some, and I hate to use this name because he's since passed away, but if you remember Terrence Clark at Kentucky last year, Terrence Clark at Kentucky, there was like a three-month ankle injury that nobody could diagnose. Then all of a sudden, he's ready for the SEC tournament, and then the season's over, then he goes pro, and unfortunately, we know what happened from there. And again, I'm not making light of a serious situation, but it kind of feels the same with Imani Bates. It just kind of feels like, you know, is he really hurt, or does does everybody know that it's in his best interest and the team's best interest not to play? So we'll see what happens. But that's how Memphis turned things around. They got healthy. They, on top of that, they also figured out the rotation, and Imani Bates, who's just not ready for college basketball, doesn't make him a bad person. He's not playing. And so I bring all of it up to say that's how you get to 10, 10 wins in 11, in 11 games. And now you start to look at what they could do in the NCAA tournament because here's the thing. They've always played great defense, and this year they're playing pretty good defense as well, 18th nationally in field goal percentage defense. They forced 15 turnovers per game, which is the top 30 nationally. But the offense has taken off. I mean, this is a team that scored 59 points against Iowa State earlier this year, 63 against Ole Miss. Well, they've scored 70-plus in nine of the 11 games during this streak, it's not a win streak because they lost one in there, but in the, the, the 10 of 11, they've scored 70 plus in nine of them. One of the, the games that they didn't was the loss to, to SMU. And the other one was, uh, was the win over Houston. Houston's great defensively on the road. So, of course, you're not going to score a lot of points, but they play better defense. So I could go on and on. This doesn't need to be a 30-minute a, a Penny Hardaway segment. But what I would just say is that I do believe they clinched their NCAA tournament bid on Saturday. And to take it a step further, I'd officially be worried if, I, if they were in my bracket. You can argue me, you can debate me, you can discuss, you can this, you can that, whatever. All I'm telling you is point blank, just look at this team. Big, athletic, plays real defense, moves the ball. Um, you know, NBA players, obviously, Jalen Duren's going to be a lottery pick. DeAndre Williams is like a 6'11 point guard. Uh, Josh Minot is going to play in the NBA at some point. This is a really scary team, and if they keep playing the way that they do, I mean, just think about this. They win the AAC tournament, so if they add three more wins to their resume, how high could they get up on the seed line, especially if they beat, say, Houston and SMU to win the title? I mean, are we talking about a team that could potentially be like a nine seed? Imagine imagine being Gonzaga or Kansas. I mean, I have, Kentucky fans even admitted to me. Like, like you know... A team is playing well when other fan bases are acknowledging they're playing well. And I had Kentucky fans like, I don't want to be a number one seed and have them in the 8-9 game. I don't want to be a two seed and have them in the 7-10 game. So Memphis is officially that team. Memphis is officially a team that I think you should be worried about if they're in your bracket. And listen, it's time for me to give Penny Hardaway credit where it's due, man. He turned this thing around midseason. 
and I'll be honest, I'm happy for him. I've told you for years. Best thing for college basketball, I just talked a minute about ago about Coach K leaving and what does that mean for kind of the, the, the big picture of college basketball, good guys, bad guys, villains, this, that. I don't know if Memphis and Penny Hardaway are a villain or not, but what I would say, you have a former NBA All-Star with Larry Brown on the bench who recruits the best of the best. I think it's great for coverage of college basketball. I think it's great for recruiting in college basketball. If Memphis, if Penny Hardaway gets it rolling, that's a great thing for college basketball. He has it rolling now, and he deserves some credit for that. All right, really quickly, let's wrap on some other games in college hoops over the course of the week, and then I will get to a quick segment to end the show on Sky Clark, uh, a five-star guard who decommitted from Kentucky on Saturday um, or Sunday, I should say. Not going to lie, I don't think it's a huge deal. We'll discuss why in a minute. Um, but yeah, other games from Saturday, I, you know, listen, I don't think there was like a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton. Um, let, let's start with obviously some of the top 25 matchups. First of all, Arkansas does lose at Tennessee wild game. Tennessee puts up 50 points in the first half. Arkansas rallies all the way back, cuts it to whatever it was, two or three at the end of the game. Tennessee ends up winning. Uh, it was one of those weird games where I think both fan bases were a little bit frustrated Tennessee for blowing that big lead, Arkansas for losing a game that they could have won. I I don't know what to say. I, I don't have any big picture takeaways from that one. I know you're coming here for some incredible knowledge drop, but at the end of the day, like I mean, that's kind of what happens in good conferences. Good teams play other good teams, and sometimes you win, and sometimes you don't. Um, Tennessee gets the win. That's all that matters. Arkansas doesn't. Um, you know, obviously it allowed Auburn to clinch the SEC regular season title when they won their game. Uh, Auburn wins, obviously, if they had lost the winner of that Tennessee game and then Kentucky, would it would have been a tri-championship, I guess you would say. So not a big takeaway. I'm not worried about Arkansas, nothing like that. Obviously, they were without one of their starters, Audis Tony. That doesn't help. But Tennessee, man, I'm telling you, they're coming on strong. You talk about a team like I had some people like, oh, Tennessee's game doesn't translate outside of, of Knoxville. Uh, they have elite guard play, and they play elite defense. That's like the definition of what translates in March. So I, I'd love to sit here and just pretend that I have some amazing, huge takeaway from that one, but I don't. Um, Kentucky and Florida, that was another one. I, I already talked about it with Kentucky, so I, I'm not going to make it into a huge thing. I'm just impressed by this Kentucky team, man. I mean, you, you think about this, and you think about what I said a minute ago. Think about how hard it is for a college basketball team to basically win Every single game that they are expected to win over the course of a season, right? I told you a minute ago, Kentucky finishes the regular season 25-6 and six of their six losses. All six came on the road or neutral courts to NCAA tournament caliber teams, many of them without star players, right? So their losses were Duke in a neutral, at Notre Dame, at Auburn, at LSU, at Arkansas, at Tennessee. Those are their six losses. Well, I see six NCAA tournament teams right there and probably five of which, four maybe if you don't include LSU, probably four that can easily make a Final Four in those of, of those six losses. And I do think there's something to be said, and I do think that, like credit needs to go to John Calipari, right? Like, like I, I put that out on Twitter and people go, oh, what do you, what, was Kentucky supposed to lose to bad teams? Well, first of all, good teams lose to bad teams all the time. I mean, Duke lost to Carolina on Saturday. Carolina's a bubble team. At home, I should add. Duke, by the way, earlier in the year lost to Florida State. Last weekend, what did we talk about? We talked about the fact that Arizona, who I think might be the best team in the country alongside Kentucky, I talked about it on last episode on Wednesday, Arizona lost to Colorado. Like that That's not a loss that you're supposed to have if you're Arizona, and that's why I give Kentucky credit. Went to Alabama, got a win. Went to Florida, got a win. Beat Florida at home. Beat Alabama at home. Beat LSU at home. 
uh, beat Tennessee at home, beat Kansas on the road. That's an incredible season, and it's an incredible season, by the way, especially after what happened last year. Like, like everyone's like, oh, my God, you're giving Kentucky. What are you giving Kentucky credit for? It's like, well, because I don't know. A year ago, everybody was saying that John Calipari had lost his fastball and it was time for him to retire. And now a year later, they can probably win the national – not probably. They, they're probably the national championship favorite along with Gonzaga and Arizona going into this tournament. And we're just supposed to act like, oh, that's totally normal? It can't be normal when a year ago you were telling me you needed to fire the coach and bring in Nate Oates, ironically enough, who struggled this year. So want to give cre- credit to Kentucky. Uh, and really quickly, I want to give credit to a few other teams that have made the NCAA tournament this year. Murray State clinched their first uh, the, the first automatic bid this year in the NCAA tournament on Saturday night against Moorhead State. Moorhead State played really hard. They have a guy named Janae Broom. Um, you know, I don't project and guess who is going to enter the transfer portal, nor do I hope. I hope this kid stays at Moorhead State. But he had like 32-11. and 11. If that kid entered the transfer portal, he would be recruited by every single player, every single school in America. He was unbelievable. But but Murray State, one of the best stories in college basketball. They're now thirty what thirty something and two, thirty and two something like that, uh, coming out of the Ohio Valley tournament. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, our old buddy. Matt McMahon, their head coach. I am efforting Matt McMahon for this podcast. He hasn't responded to my text. What's going on with that guy? He's been on the podcast twice. Great guy. I hope to have him back. I've talked with him a little bit throughout the season. Uh, but Murray State gets their first ever NCAA, uh, the, gets the first official NCAA tournament bid. How about Longwood? Longwood winning the Big South. Uh, Longwood is is the team. They will be. They're a school, small school in Virginia. I'm pulling up their Wikipedia page right now. Let's see if they have any prominent alums. All I know is this is their first ever NCAA tournament bid. So we will have at least one first uh, team that has never made the NCAA tournament before this year. Congratulations to Longwood. It looks like their most prominent alum was probably Jerome Kersey, who played in the NBA. A lot of you will remember him. Apparently, there was a player named Michael Tucker who played in the MLB. I do remember Michael Tucker. I remember Michael Tucker. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Atlanta Braves. I remember him. Anyway, Michael Tucker went to Longwood. Also, uh, who else? Jerome Kersey went to Longwood. So congratulations to Longwood. First ever NCAA tournament bid. Murray State clinches the first tournament bid of the year. And oh, by the way, Sunday afternoon, who won the Missouri Valley? Loyal of Chicago. So let me just be clear for all of our new listeners. We've picked up a lot over the course of the last year. The Aaron Torres Sports Podcast is an anti-Sister Jean podcast. And that's a very controversial take. And some of you will probably click and listen and, and shut it down. I got nothing against old Sister Jean, okay? She's like 102, 103. I'm happy. Listen, live long, prosper. I'm happy she has a happy, healthy life. And she's a beautiful woman with a beautiful soul. It just bothers me that everybody in the media, every time Loyola plays, that's all they talk about. Loyola has good players. Loyola has good coaches. Drew Valentine, youngest coach in college basketball, makes an NCAA tournament. Here's an idea. How about we talk about that guy? Here's an idea. How about we interview him? Here's an idea. How about we interview Lucas Williamson, their star player? I don't know. doesn't seem that hard. First of all, I I don't really care for the rest of the Loyola fans with their little weird scarves like the Harry Potter scarves. I don't watch Harry Potter, so I don't know. I'm just saying I got nothing against Sister Jean personally. I'm sure she's a lovely lady. I just get annoyed by the media coverage of her. So whatever. Loyola Chicago, congratulations, NCAA tournament. I'm not an anti-Sister Jean podcast. I'm an anti-Sister Jean coverage podcast. Hope that makes sense. That's what I'll do. I'll take a quick break. I want to come back. 
want to talk a little bit about a little college basketball recruiting news. Five-star guard Sky Clark decommits from Kentucky. I don't think it's a big deal, but some Kentucky fans were not happy on Sunday morning when it broke, so I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to college basketball in a minute. But speaking of Sister Jean, it's March Madness. And you know what that means? It is time to welcome back our favorite sponsor, and yes, your lady's favorite sponsor, Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. And no, I cannot believe that I just used the word Sister Jean and Manscaped in the same sentence. But let's get back to Manscaped. Let's focus on the present. Today, we're not talking about below-the-waist grooming because they've launched their ultra-premium collection an all-in-one skin and hair care kit that has you covered from head to toe. And of course, because Manscaped loves your boy, because Manscaped loves the Aaron Torres pot, all you gotta go, to, all you gotta do to get any of these products, go to manscaped.com, use promo code Torres, and you can have the world is your oyster. Manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Fellas, let's be honest. First of all, let's just call a spade a spade. Manscaped has already helped you once before. Remember that little James Harden beard you had going on downstairs? It was disgusting. Manscaped helped that get cleaned up, and now you can enhance the rest of your perfect grooming routine with the Ultra Premium Collection. What is the Ultra Premium Collection? You're probably asking, Aaron, what does it mean? I don't get it. Here's what the Ultra Premium Package is. Manscaped Premium Deodorant. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum-free, and smells like their signature scent. Throw away that gross competitor. We know who they are. Get yourself some Manscaped. Also part of the Ultra Premium Package, the Hydrating Body Moisturizer. If you have tattoos or issues with your skin, it's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. It also includes the body wash. I already told you about the body wash. I use it every day. I've never smelled better. I'm not telling you what Mrs. Torres may or may not do when I put that body wash on, but it's a winner. And, of course, the two-in-one shampoo. You'll have a head of hair better than Coach K once you're done with that. So that's the ultra-premium package. We're talking about the deodorant, the hydrating body moisturizer, the body wash, the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, plus, check this out, a free gift, a three-pack of lip balm that's made up with ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep your lips feeling fresh for whatever activities your lips are doing in March. It's not my business. And as I said, That is four products all in one inside the Ultra Premium Collection. The best part, all the products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. I mean, come on! Manscaped's got you looking good, smelling good, uh, without the James Harden beard, all for your March Madness party. Manscaped, worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. They have expanded the Ultra Premium Collection. Make sure to go to manscaped.com for all products. But the Ultra Premium Collection is what we're focused on today. Use promo code TORRES once you get there. 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped.com. Tell them TORRES sent you. Manscaped.com. Promo code TORRES. All right, everybody. I am back. Final time today. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, First of all, thank you before we move on to our partners, Manscaped. Manscaped.com. Go ahead and use promo code TORRES. By the way, ladies... If that ultra premium collection sounds good to you and your man's too embarrassed to use his credit card and use manscaped.com, guess what? You can order it for him to manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Works for everybody. By the way, how'd you like me uh, just throwing in a Sister Jean reference in the middle of a Manscaped ad read? Yeah, that's what being a professional is about. But enough about Sister Jean, Manscaped being in the same sentence. Sounds kind of weird. 
kind of creating some weird thoughts in my head. Maybe it's best we just move on. And I do want to talk a little college basketball. And I do want to talk college basketball recruiting specifically. Um, I don't talk a ton of recruiting on this show for obvious reasons. There are guys and girls who cover that space 365 days a year. They do a great job doing it. Uh, also, you know, as it pertains to football, let's be honest, most of these guys aren't really high-impact commitments. Obviously, when Arch Manning commits it, at some point this summer, we'll talk about that. But I'm not going to talk about some safety from New Orleans that committed to LSU over Texas A&M as if it's a, a, an earth-shattering thing. Basketball, though, is a little bit different because basketball, obviously, the players come in sometimes, not sometimes, they generally leave college basketball quicker, but they can have an impact right away that is tangible, viewable, visible, right? It's obvious the impact that Paolo Bancaro has at Duke. It's obvious the impact Ty Ty Washington has had at Kentucky, Jabari Smith at Auburn, um, you know, last year, Moses Moody at Arkansas, on and on and on and on and on. Well, on Sunday, we did get a pretty big piece of college basketball recruiting news as Sky Clark kind of a, you know, top 30 to top 40 player in the country, probably ranked somewhere between 25 and 35, depending on what recruiting service you're using. He had been committed to Kentucky essentially forever. And on Sunday, he announces that he is decommitting and reopening his recruitment. And when I went on social media and I read about it, the first thing I saw was all sorts of Kentucky fans freaking out. Let me just say this. First of all, not all of you were, because a lot of you kind of see it the way that I do. I don't think this is a big deal for the Kentucky basketball program. And in many ways, I actually think it may be the best possible thing that could have happened to Kentucky basketball. And let me explain why, okay? So it's a little bit of backstory, as I said. This kid, Sky Clark, uh, you know, really talented player. He committed to Kentucky a million years ago, okay? He committed to Kentucky in October 2020. So think about that. This pandemic starts in, in March of 2020. We start last college basketball season in late November, early December 2020, he committed two months before that season started. You know the season where Baylor won the championship, where they beat Gonzaga, where Baylor and Gonzaga were the two best teams all year we were waiting for them to play? He committed to Kentucky two months before that season started. So two full seasons have since gone by. Um, But really good player at the time he was considered top 10 in the country. But what I would say is in the lead up to the decommitment, a lot of stuff has changed. First of all, the, the, the coach that recruited him, a coach named Joel Justice, has since left Kentucky's program. Uh, and even after Joel Justice left, Sky Clark had even said at the time, like, you know, I would probably reconsider, uh, you know, the recruitment. And then about 10 seconds later, he was like, you know what? I think it's probably, uh, I'm going to be sticking with Kentucky because it's Kentucky. Uh, I'm not going anywhere else. But what's clear at Kentucky is that since he committed, a ton has changed, right? We obviously have the situation a year ago where Kentucky's a disaster. We have a situation where Joel Justice leaves for Arizona State, Tony Barbie leaves to be the head coach at Central Michigan, and all of a sudden you have two new coaches in on the coaching staff, Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, not saying they didn't treat Sky Clark like one of their own, but it's a different program, it's a different coaching staff than the one that you committed to. Um, And on top of that, like, the program's changed. I mean, they weren't recruiting transfers except for the random grad transfer here or there, Nate Sestina, Reed Travis, whatever. Well, fast forward, they're fearless in the portal. They're obviously going to be aggressive in the portal next season, this coming offseason after last offseason success. So the entire program that he committed to has changed. What I would also say is, and this is the kind of stuff you can't say on social media because it seems like you're going after a 16, 17-year-old kid, but Sky Clark got hurt, and he's clearly not the same player. Not a knock, not saying he can't get there, not saying he won't play in the NBA. I'm just saying he's not the same player. When he committed to Kentucky, he was a consensus top 10 player in the class. He was going to be the next great freshman at Kentucky. Instead, he gets hurt, tears an ACL, came back this year, played well to his credit, 
But as of right now, he's not the same player. And as I said, he's kind of a top 25 to top 35 player. And those just aren't the kind of guys that make a difference in college basketball. And so when you ask me why it's not a big deal, it's because the guy that he currently is. Now, I can't say who he's going to be seven, eight months from now. But the guy that he currently is is not the kind of guy that's going to come into Kentucky and have an instant impact right away. We know who those guys are. And I've used this analogy many times. I remember, you know, seven, eight years ago. And I've used this analogy, but... I remember talking to an assistant coach who recruited at the highest level of college basketball, not at Kentucky, but at a Kentucky-like school. So you can figure out, there's four or five of those, Kansas, North Carolina, Arizona, UCLA, whatever. And I'll never forget him telling me this. He said, and I I was asking him, I said, why is this team struggling? They got all these McDonald's All-Americans. He goes, Aaron, he goes, remember, never forget. He goes, even at McDonald's, McDonald's All-American, right? So this is why it's a McDonald's analogy. Even at McDonald's, there is a difference between ordering, what is the, uh, a blanket here, a Big Mac. There's a difference between ordering a Big Mac, I was going to say Whopper, but that would have pissed off a lot of people. There's a difference between ordering a Big Mac, and there's a difference between ordering a double cheeseburger off the dollar menu. There's a difference between a Big Mac and a double cheeseburger off the dollar menu. Now, what does that mean? It means even in college basketball. Even within the McDonald's All-American, the 22 or so players that are part of the McDonald's All-American team, there are the guys that are the guys, the Big Macs. I'm talking the uh, Paolo Bancaros, the Jabari Smiths, the Chet Holmgrens, the Evan Mobleys, the Cade Cunninghams last year. And there are the guys that are going to be good college basketball players, but not great ones, and maybe NBA players and maybe not. And this kid right now, I hate to say it, I'm not being critical, I'm just being factual here. When a Kentucky fan is freaking out, What are you freaking out about? Think about your team next year. Think about the possibilities of what what is on the roster next year. First of all, there's already reports that Severe Wheeler, the starting point guard who is leading the SEC in assists, is leaning towards coming back next year. Don't think it's confirmed. Don't think it will be confirmed maybe until after the NBA draft process. But the bottom line is in the NIL world that we live in, this kid is probably going to make more being a Kentucky basketball player than he will anywhere playing professional basketball next season. C.J. Frederick, Iowa transfer, hasn't played this year. He will be back for Kentucky next year. They have another five-star guard that is coming in named Cason Wallace, who is ranked well ahead of where Sky, Sky Clark is now. Excuse me. And then Shaden Sharp, who I've talked about at length on this show. Number one recruit, high school class of 2022, enrolled to Kentucky a semester early. He is eligible for the NBA draft, but there's a possibility that he does come back. He hasn't played yet in college basketball. And I'll tell you this, if he does... That's by far the best backcourt in college basketball. I'm sorry, there's no backcourt even close to that. And even if he doesn't, guess what? This is why the transfer portal is amazing. You can lose a fringe four, five-star player, a fringe five-star player, high four-star player, a guy that probably would have been a reserve role guy, fourth, fifth, sixth guard on next year's roster, depending on how the roster shakes out. Four or five years ago, there's nothing you could do. You can't replace a top 30 guy this late in the recruiting process. But in 2022, oh, that portal is about to be humming. Now, I do wonder if it's going to be quite as crazy as last year. I do think that COVID played a part last year. Everybody was miserable at the end of last season. Everybody wanted a fresh start. It was a tough season for everybody. You had a bunch of players getting an extra year of eligibility that weren't anticipating it. So I don't know if the portal is going to be quite as rocking as it was this time last year. But what I would also say is is the possibility does exist that – you know, the possibility does exist that 
there are going to be a lot of really good players in the portal, and you better believe Kentucky's going to get the ones that they want, just like they did last offseason. So if you're a Kentucky fan, I don't think you freak out, because I've said it from day one. If I'm recruiting a, a top 25, you know, top 20 to top 20 player or beyond, if you're a top 20 player or if you're inside the top 20, those are the guys that can come into college basketball, have an instant impact, and really it's not even the top 20. It's like the top five. Like the guys that come into college basketball and kick butt and take names right away, they're usually ranked in the top five to top 10. And once you get outside the top 20, those are role players, many of them coming in, and I'm not saying that this kid is, but many of them coming in with an unrealistic expectation of the impact that they can have on college basketball. They think they're going to be a star, they've been a star their whole lives, and then all of a sudden they run into a pick from Oscar Shibwe and they realize they're not in high school anymore. So the point I'm trying to bring up is I believe that if you're not getting a top 10 recruit, you could probably find somebody just as good from that point on in the transfer portal. Now, there are some programs that do a great job developing kids within the program. Villanova is one. I believe my alma mater, UConn, I hope, is on the way to becoming one. But there are a lot of programs that, that kids don't want to be there three, four, five years, and I don't know that the coaches want them there. And so if you're just looking for a guy for next year, oh, I guarantee you you're going to find somebody as good as Sky Clark. And so I'm not freaking out. I'm not too concerned if I'm a Kentucky fan. And one final thought. There is a possibility that this could be Shaden Sharp related, the number one player that's, that's on campus right now. Now, I don't really believe that this kid made this decision because of Shaden Sharp. I think he made it because there's increasing rumors that Severe Wheeler is going to be back. There's, they already have a five-star committed. C.J. Frederick's going to be there, et cetera. But at the same time, it can't be a bad thing, right? Now, in terms of Shaden Sharp, I would say I don't think this had that much of an impact on him and his decision. Because one, he's just a better player than this kid, and this is just, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the kid, it's just a fact. Um, but then two, on top of that, I don't think Shaden Sharp's made a final decision. I, I know there's some people that say there's 0% chance that he's coming back. I don't know that I believe that. I don't think he's made a decision. He's in practice every day. He knows how far along he is or isn't. He knows the kind of impact he can have on college basketball next year. And maybe if he feels like I can go from the seventh pick in the draft to the first pick in the draft... When, I, when I'm only 18 years old and I've never played college basketball, like I could see the scenario where he says, you know what, I didn't just come here for six months. I'm go I want to play. I want to wear this uniform. I saw what this fan base did for this group that's playing right now, and I want to be part of this next year. I think there's also a possibility that he says, I could be a top 10 pick. I have to go. The bottom line is, though, I don't think this is a huge deal for Kentucky. I don't think it's going to hurt them. And if anything, man, you guys know my policy. Unless you're a program that develops these guys, internally in the program again a UConn a Villanova um, I don't even know how many of these programs exist anymore in the transfer portal era Michigan State maybe whatever um, I just say go get the transfer portal you're going to find somebody better you're going to find somebody better than a top 30 or top 40 or top 53 four-star recruit it's just the bottom line all right I think I've done enough today what a loaded show I mean I was on my deathbed about three days ago I, I mean, I, I take that back. I don't want to be sarcastic. I know there's serious illnesses, but I was pretty freaking sick like three days ago, and here I am banging out episodes of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. That's what I do, people. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to the Air Tour Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. By the way, quick thank you again. Our numbers again essentially doubled. Not essentially, they did double. From last year to this year, February over February, year over year. So thank you guys so much and girls for your support. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. 
I have a blast doing this, and I just genuinely appreciate everything that you guys and girls do for us. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. As I said, I should mention, this is a great week to check out Aaron Torres online. We're going to have increased writing content, preview of all the conference championship games, my guy, or conference tournaments, I should say, my guy Zach Crow, my guy Austin Montgomery. Uh, Zach Crow will be at the ACC and Big East tournament. He's based out of New York. I was supposed to go to Vegas for Pac-12, Mountain West, etc., but unfortunately, my illness, uh, we decided that it was best that I stay home. So uh, make sure that you're following Aaron Torres online. We're going to have some good writing there. And then the bracket's out this time next week, baby. So I will obviously have crazy coverage once the bracket starts. A lot to get into. We'll break down everything. We'll do two or three episodes next week. This week, expect a second episode on Tuesday, previewing all of the conference tournaments. But that's all for today's show. With that said, i got to give a quick shout-out. Shout out Torrent Craig. Shout out Rachel, who hates my voice. You didn't think I was going to make it through these last couple days, but I did, Rachel. I'm sorry. I'll be back on Tuesday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Have a good week, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.